AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. professional homegirls and men before we dive into this week's episode let's handle some housekeeping real quick make sure to give me a follow at the professional homegirl on instagram tiktok and youtube oh and don't forget to follow at the phg podcast on instagram as well so we can kiki about the episodes and if you're loving the conversations from the show show some love by dropping a five-star review on apple Podcasts. remember hold me down don't hold me up okay I hope you all enjoy this week's episode, but if the conversation starts to become triggering, please remember to put your well-being and your mental health first. Love y'all deep, and until next time, later. Coming up on this week's episode of the Professional Homegirl Podcast, we are diving into a crucial topic, sexual abuse within the walls of churches. It is a tough subject, but one that needs our attention. Way too often, the voices of those who've gone through this have been pushed to the side hidden away by feelings of guilt and fear. 
On today's show, I got an amazing guest joining us. She's brave enough to share her own story as a survivor of church-related abuse, and I think that her perspective will open our eyes to the challenges that survivors face and the steps we need to take for prevention. So to my guest, thank you so much for sharing your story on the show. How you doing? How you feeling? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yes. So since sharing your story, have you had any encounters with others who have experienced similar abuse in a church setting? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, In two ways, I've had people that, men and women, that have come to me and shared their stories about how they were abused by men, and they were men, Mm -hmm. um, and women that was abused by women. Mm -hmm. um, Which is a really big thing that a lot of people don't talk about. Yes, absolutely. And then I have the other side of it where um, that some some of the people from that denomination, Church of God in Christ, have been threatening me um, since I told my story. Really? Yes. <laughs> from the church that you grew up in or just? No, ju- just the, the, the people in that denomination. What they've been saying? Yeah. Well, um, threatening me not to write my book, first of all. Um, they were saying how I was bashing the Church of God in Christ, their denomination. Um, this one, this one lady told me that uh, the abuse was my fault. I was thirteen when it happened, thirteen, fourteen. So she told you that she, she did, and she she is a diehard Church of God in Christ, born and bred. You know that's how they roll for that denomination. Well, that's but not Christian like. <laughs> That is not, but it, but it's, it's, um, when you have that loyalty to, um, man and a denomination rather than that loyalty to God, that's how it, that's how it works. Wow. And that's what I actually told her. If you need, you need to start being loyal to God and not, and not man. this denomination. Absolutely. Right. Have anybody, um, gave you any physical threats? Um, no, just, uh, it, they'll inbox me, consider this a, warning if you keep talking you know crazy stuff like that but my assignment is not to bash the church my assignment is to help those that are still um crying silent tears those that are um still struggling with that guilt and that shame and thinking that it was their fault right the abuse i dealt with that for 40 years and I, I shut my mouth for 40 years and I just started telling my story right. last year. And Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, just last year. Wow. So what inspired um, you to share your story? Well, I had buried it for 40 years, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at work one night and uh, I, I, I said it was this big, bright light just shined in that area of that dark place where I had kept it buried for 40 years. Right. And I, I started panicking and I said, Lord, why are you showing me this? And um, he told me, God told me that it was time for me to be made whole. Mm. And he said, go and tell your children. And I told him, I said, I don't want to be made whole, you know, because I knew that, to be made whole, I had to confront what I buried. I had to deal with it. I had to embrace it. I had to, I mean, I had to feel everything that I felt 
the 40 years that I buried and I don't want to do that was too painful. Right. And so when he told me to go and tell my children, um, that was hard too, because in the midst of, uh, the abuse that I went through when I was 13, 14, I got pregnant. Right. Which we're going to talk about. Yes. And so, um, I had a daughter at 15 mm-hmm. and, um, children's service board put her for adoption, but they, I told them that she was their sister by the same father that they had. Okay. Um, but in actuality, I didn't know if she was the elder that raped me's child or the younger boy that was involved with, um, taking my virginity, which I ended up marrying him right. and had four and had four more children with him. Did you ever find out who the father was? I not yet. I, um, but do I you want to find out? I do, I, but I have to wait on her. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I found my daughter after 40 years. That's right. That's right. Yes, yes. yes. And so um, she still, you know, we, we, we're we getting there. But right. I have to just totally wait and, and respect be her. because she, Yeah, be patient with her because it was a lot for her as well. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the discussions about church abuse within, especially within black communities have been lacking? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they, they sweep it under the rug. They don't want to hear about it. They, um, they'll blame you, mm-hmm. you know, as they are blaming me. And I, I was a child, as I said, and the lady said, well, what part did you take in it? You know, <laughs> I was on, in children's service board. I was in a foster home. I didn't take no part in it. Right. And when I told the um, pastor that that this elder was doing this to me, he told me to keep bringing him reports. Mm -hmm. So um, after I told the pastor, he told me to keep bringing reports. um, I had to process that. Like, okay, does this mean to keep letting this man do what he wanted to do to me and just keep bringing me the reports? And what's a report? Like, what do you want to know? Just, well, okay, well, he touched me here today and he did right. this. Right, like did that, that was weird. You know, very weird. And so um, I kept taking the reports every time this, this man would touch me. And because um, I'm thinking, okay, after one of these reports, this he gonna do something. is going to stop, you know? Right. Um, so as a child, you know, you're told to go tell a, another adult when we are being touched inappropriately. I did that. Mm-hmm. I went to the pastor. Um, nothing ever happened because I was waiting on that meeting with my foster mother, the elder and the pastor, you know, I was waiting, but that meeting never happened. Right. Um, what actually happened was the pastor himself started molesting me right now before we continue where was your i know where your mom was at but where was your mom and your family because i know you can't you come from a large family yes so my the, the reason i got into foster cares um both of my parents died when i was 12 years old mm. and so state got wind of it and they came and took me because i was the youngest of the um, nine children um, and they put, I became a ward of the state pretty much. And then they put me, I was 12, turning 13. They put me in a foster home 
with um, the church mother who was uh, over the, in, in you know, in the Church of God in Christ, you got church mothers, you got mm-hmm. pastor's aide, you got all those type of um, titles, but she was a church mother and she was, you know, always busy doing stuff for her first family, you know, things like that. And that's how my doom started because prior to my mom dying, I was playing kickball, you right. know, still playing. I was a, I was a child, you know, I wasn't a fast girl and none of that. Mm-hmm. So when, um, my, my mom died and then we found out four months later that my dad died. So, mm. um, my mom was all I had because her and my dad had separated. Right. Um, and that's how I got into this whole situation. Um, Children's Service Board put me in a foster home and, you know, it was a church. Um, Not to cut you off, but I feel like because mm-hmm. I had a lot of conversations with survivors and some of them stories, a lot of this stem from foster care. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, it has and, to be and, something that needs to be changed. Cause this is like <laughs> the foster care is know, spelling children. A lot. And, but this is what one of the, the ladies that was, um, uh, said it was my fault. She said, well, you need to blame foster care. No, I was placed in foster care, but those men chose to do what they did to me. Right. It, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I could have been in a hundred foster homes, but it was still that pastor and that elder's decision. It was their choice right. to do what they did. So and it makes it's me not feel like really, they, this is something they've been they've been doing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes it goes a long way back. And and that's why they try to keep it quiet, hush hush. Um, I mean, I was quiet for 40 years. And mm-hmm. when I started telling my story, I became the villain. You know, I became, um, you know, you trying to bash our denomination and things like that. And, and it, it was never about that. I was, I was telling my truth. And trying to stop know. the cycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, when you know you've been um, assigned to do a thing, I'm unbothered by you. I laugh at at it most times, but, mm-hmm. um, I know that there are still people that are out there that, um, are still feeling guilty. Cause I felt guilty. Um, I felt like it was my fault. What could I have done differently? I did everything right, but I didn't get to that place until, um, last year. Right. And that happened to me when I was 13, 14, but I just got to that place where I did everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, I told the adult, I did everything right, but for 40 years, I blamed myself. Yeah. And by this time, did you find it difficult to trust anyone else, especially since the pastor was asking you to bring him reports? Like, was there anybody else you felt comfortable with within the church? You know what? Um, I would say my trauma started when I was about five years old, when my father would beat me unmercifully. Mm. So I was a child of an abused home to where he would be. Um, me, my sisters, and my mother. He would never touch the boys. But that's when my trauma started. And I didn't know anything about trauma or right. anything or child abuse. I didn't know anything about that. But, I mean, you didn't have the language for it back then. Yeah, didn't have the language, didn't know anything. I just knew I would get beat by this, uh, my dad. And so 
after my mom died, they took Children's Service Board took me from the rest of my family. So it was like my mom died, my dad died, and the rest of my family died because they snatched me from my older brothers and sisters. So um, I was just alone, I felt like. And uh, when I went to the church, and I grew up Kojic. I grew up Church of God in Christ um, till my mom died, like I said, when I was 12. Mm -hmm. But after telling the pastor, it was like I couldn't even think to even tell somebody else. My mind just would not let me even think to tell somebody right. else because the foster mother knew his wife knew. I mean, I mean, they knew that's disgusting. So it's like, you know, who do I tell? So eventually when, um, the young man, um, he took advantage of me. He took my virginity, but he was 16. This is the young boy I, that, that just, you said in one of your interviews, he ain't like dark skinned women. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, I, I gravitated toward him and we started talking. He, he hated me, but he just kind of used me for sex and experience and things like that. But I, when I told him about the pastor and the elder, mm -hmm. my abuse stopped. It stopped. So now my loyalty went to this boy that saved me from the bad men. You think they was all it, in cahoots with each other? Well, I think there's a whole chain of that stuff going on. Not, not the boy, but there's a spirit in that that has plagued the church. You know, we, we talk about the Catholic church, mm -hmm. but that thing happens everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a spirit. That's what I call it. But, um, when the boy saved me, my loyalty went to him. So now I knew that he, um, was using me, but he saved me. You, you felt protected by him in a sense. I, I felt protected. Mm -hmm. And so he actually became one of my abusers mm -hmm. as well. But it didn't matter what he did because I was still, um, I think I had um, arrested development. Mm -hmm. And that is when you had so much trauma in your life, you stop right where that trauma happens. Yeah. And so no matter where I was, 12, 13, 14, 15, 20, 25, six, I was still that, that 13, 14-year-old girl that he saved. Mm -hmm. And that's all you so, know at that point. Yeah. And so whatever, I mean, I, I ended up marrying him. Mm -hmm. Well, wait, before um, you continue, because okay. I think that whole, that whole situation was crazy too. Like the mom, yeah. the way these yeah. moms protect these boys. Yeah. It, it, it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you also mentioned about the elder coming over one night and you said that he yes. had this look in his eyes that frightened you. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so I'm 14 and, um, when I told the young man, the abuse stopped. Well, the pastor, mm -hmm. he's, he just went on probably to somebody else, but, um, the elder has stopped for a, a season. And then he came over to the foster home and, um, and he was able to do that because he was part of the clique, you right. know, the church clique. 
Um, and I told him, you know, my foster mother's not home. And he came in, he was just like, he knew about me telling the boy what they did. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all of a sudden he got this, this, I don't know how long he had been planning this, but that look, it frightened the heck out of me in his eyes. Um, I found myself fighting with this man. I'm 14. He was 30 something. Mm. And he did this move, twist my arm. And I went down to the floor and that's where he, um, he raped me. And so, um, after that, he told me I better not say anything. Mm -hmm. And I felt nasty, just, just horrible. And it was like, he wore this cologne Mm. that, that I literally just stopped smelling about three years ago. Mm. And I I was 14 when it happened. What do you mean? And every time I would, what do you mean by you just stopped smelling it? Like, I literally just stopped smelling that, that smell. It'll mm. come, you know, at will. And when the smell would come, um, I would, I start getting sick. I would start dry heaving. Just, it was just a crazy, maybe psychological thing that, right. that was going on. Um, but Cause physically you it, haven't seen this person. No, no. Mm. But I would smell that cologne and it would just, I don't know. It was, I don't know. It had to be psychologically, but um, I would start just throwing up or getting sick when I smell it. You know, maybe a um, a, a therapist that will listen to this broadcast would know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah. I literally just stopped smelling it um, three years ago. Mm. And so, yeah, it was, it was bad. It was bad. He um, he left and and then it was crazy because. Once Children's Service Board, I, and I don't know how they heard what was going on over there, but they came and removed me um, from that foster home and then put me in another foster home. Um, these are church people, too, but they were throwing shoes at me. And, you know, the, the mother, church, the, the mother, she wasn't a church mother, but she was a foster mother. Right. Um, throwing shoes at me, you know, calling me dumb, stupid, things like that. So. Um, there was one night they were going to church and, and nobody knew where I was. I mean, children's service board, cause I was in their custody. They didn't have to tell, anyone, right. you know, and, uh, I went to that home and when they went to church one night, I got on the phone and called my brother. I'm like, look, call my caseworker. This lady was throwing shoes at me, calling me dumb, stupid. You know, yeah. I was already in enough trauma, you know? And That's... by the time they got home, it was like my brother had called everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, my sisters and brothers. And she was like, I told you we should have took that dummy to church with us. You know, it was just horrible. And, you know, people that some people just do that foster care for money. Yeah, for a check. For a check. They don't care about these and it's, kids. It's not, and it's not fair to the children because we didn't ask to be there. Right. Children's Service Board came and got us or took us from our families and things like that. And it's just so unfair how um, foster kids are treated, you and know, because they're already we, going through enough. Right. And then they wonder why we have a lot of messed up individuals in the world. Exactly. Exactly. 
So my brother, um, my caseworker came and got me the next day from that house right. and um, put put me in a um, a group home, right? Mm-hmm. And so after after some time went by, I started, and this is when the the boy had um, taken my virginity, and I was with him and um, things like that. So I felt something moving in my stomach, and I'm like, you know, I told one of the house parents. Um, something is mo- something is in my stomach, you know. Oh wow! And, and at this point, did you so, even know what sex was like? N- like physically? No, I yes. mean he actually the 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 fourteen year old boy actually, I mean the sixteen year old boy actually took my virginity, and he had brothers that were advanced. You know what I'm saying? He had brothers that was teaching him stuff. So, and I just clinged on to him, but. You know, I didn't know. I just did it because I had loved that boy from the first time I saw him. It was like love at first sight. So I can't even say I I cling to him, you know, after that. But it was before that. But it was before that. But it was before that. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangsta Chronicles. Podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday. Each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed from police brutality 
to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And he was light-skinned, you know, so, um, but he, I mean, and, and his brothers were, I mean, they bind brothers, you know, Mm -hmm. and they like light skinned girls or Puerto Rican girls with long hair. And I knew I didn't stand a chance, but, um, I guess I was his test dummy for him. Um, um, cause he told me that I was the first girl that he actually slept with. Oh, so. Yeah, and so, but you no, know, who knows? Right. Um, I, I just you know, know niggas know be lying. That, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I just think that, um, but 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 when I look back at that, I look at how I was being trained to be the side chick. He was grooming you, know, you. because he was grooming me, and he was. I mean, he was mature, but he was sixteen, but. Yeah, I mean, when I would go around, I couldn't talk to him. You know, he could only, I couldn't approach him. And I did it because I loved him. You know right. what I'm saying? I loved him. And then he saved me from the bad men. And so this is on through, you know, my teenage, my my mid-20s. I mean, I just stayed. You know, he told me that 
Right. Um, nobody's going to want me. You know, I'm ugly. Uh, all I'm good for is a good screw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I believe that because you are what you eat. Mm, and so facts. he would tell me that, you know, all the time when we had got together and I just, I just stayed, you mm-hmm. know? Um, um, one of the things that I saw in one of your interviews is when you said that it was very difficult for you to say the word, word rape over 40 years ago. Oh my gosh. Yes. It, it was, it was difficult until I started writing my book, um, December of last year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until then, actually, mm-hmm. that I was able to say I was raped. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that um, I was in denial. Um, I believe that. Um, what did you I, think I couldn't believe to you? it, actually. What did you think happened I, to you? I, I, you know, I used to use words like, you know, he, he was touching me. Mm. Um, you know, he, you know, I would actually say the things, but I would never say what it was. Right. You know, it was just something, uh, once again, I would say something, um, mentally that where I just couldn't bring myself to say, wow, I was raped. Right. You know what I'm saying? I was just in denial of that. Until, and that's when, when the Lord was telling me, I have to, I have to, um, it's time for me to be made whole. I knew that I had to face and deal with all of that. Like Mm -hmm. I had to feel everything that I went through all over again. Um, right. And because I was so used to just burying things after so many things that happened to me and I wouldn't get any help or support, I would just bury it. Yeah, I mean that's all and, you knew. Yeah, I just buried in, and I said, "Well, I'm just gonna go ahead and take this to the grave because it was so painful and embarrassing um, too." Because the devil called me a whore for forty years. Mm. You're a whore. You don't know who your child's father is, and he would, you know, beat that thing in my me mentally, my mental thoughts that. It was embarrassing. So when the Lord had actually told me, um, go and tell your children, I said, I can't tell them that. Right. Because for all this time, I've been telling them that they had a sister and she's their father's daughter. And uh, but in actuality, I don't know whose child she is. Right. I don't know if she was the elder that raped me or his. Actually, both of them denied ever touching me. Mm, Right. So when you found out that you was pregnant in a group home or in a, it was like an unwed home for mothers? Well, it was it was a group home first because after I left the second foster home, they took me to what was called a receiving home. Mm-hmm. That's what they were calling them back then. Uh, yeah, it was back in the 80s. So um, when I started feeling something fluttering in my stomach. I was, I didn't know what it was. So I just kind of let it happen. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, I told one of the house parents, I said, something's in my stomach. And she was saying, well, are you pregnant? Of course. I didn't know. Right. You know, um, but they found out that, yes, I was 14 and pregnant. Mm. Yeah. I was 14 and pregnant. And um, so they took me to another 
group home. This home was for unwed mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the youngest person there, of course, and there was other young girls there, but I was the youngest. And so, you know, my family didn't know where I was. Um, Children's Service Board, they pretty much dropped me off like I was a stray cat. Right. You know, that they would drop off at the, the shelter. Um, and I didn't see them anymore until um, I had my daughter. Um, but there was um, somehow the boy, and that's who I call him in my book, the boy. Right. Um, found out where I was and um, they told me you have a phone call. We had to walk down this long hall. And I'm thinking it was my brother or, you know, some of my family, but it was um, him. He started having um, these girls call me and harass me. they was harassing you, right. Yeah, it was horrible. Like, it was so mentally stressful that I literally contemplated suicide. Right. And, um, And it just, and, you know, there was one point, I said, I'm not even going to answer this phone anymore because I know that it's it's those girls again. Right. And I heard the guys in the background, you bald headed. You know, I didn't have no hair. I don't have the hair, no hair today because COVID took my hair. But right. back then, you, oh, know, you had, I had COVID? short hair. Oh, it was horrible. Really? I had I had locks down to my butt, and you can see me. This is this is what I was left with. So wow. it was horrible. You had how many times did you have it? Just I, once or I had it twice actually. Twice, but that first time almost took me out. Yeah, wow. But it was horrible. But um, you know, so constantly hearing what you're not, constantly hearing you, you know, you're not nothing. You start to you believe have it. no worth. You believe you start believing it. Right. And I was so um connected to him, it was like you know, my family's like, why don't you leave him? He's, you know, he's going with, and I was so stuck on this guy that I believe it was a trauma bond. Mm-hmm. It was a trauma bond. And I just stayed like, you know, through the beatings, through the cheatings, you know, all of that. I just stayed because right. nobody else would want me. Right. I'm just curious if there's one thing that you can change or, or improve about the foster care system based on your experience, what would it be? Well, I would think, I mean, people, they act a certain way. So mm-hmm. you can't really, you can't really say, well, these people are the best people because they, you, you have a lot of pretenders. Yeah. They show face when it's time to show you, face. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's kind of hard to um, detect a predator or detect someone that's an abuser. Right. Um, but I would, but I would say the, the, the foster the care would have to uh, do more visits, do pop-up visits. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I know that's probably not possible. They have to call the people and let them know that they're coming. So when they do that, you could put on your face. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's just kind of a, um, a hard thing to to do, but I mean, just be more careful where you put these children. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like up until this point, I mean, you definitely went through a lot. So how does how did this affect your relationship with God? Oh, it didn't. Mm. I and and that's what people say. Well, how how are you still 
you know, talking about God and how are you still, um, um, for some reason, my focus was on him taking my mother. Like, why did you take my mom? Like, like the only person that really loved me. The Yes. And that's where mm -hmm. my focus stayed. Every time I would go through something, it was like, I need my mom, you know, my mom. And um, I never, I never blamed him because, and even though these were men of the cloth, um, I never blamed him. And I, I was just mature enough or in him enough, at, even as a child or a teenager, to know that he didn't cause that. Right. Those men did that. Mm. And then as I got older, um, reading a scripture, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirits and wickedness of high places. Mm. Um, it was it was the it was it was the enemy that actually tried to keep me off my path. But however, he don't know what he did because now I'm telling my story. I want to tell it everywhere because there are some people that are still saying it was my fault. Mm -hmm. um, there's still people that's crying silent tears. Um, and so now that's my assignment. My people say, well, why didn't you um, name your abuser? Because I've already given them 40 years. Yeah. What why more do, do, I have what more do you want? <laughs> Why do I have to name them? You know, um, this one incident with um, um, after I after I had my baby at fifteen, they they came and took her. I was going to ask you book. that because I'm like, how did she get in the system? They just yeah. came and took her. They so when I I was at the unwed mother's home, uh huh. I had and I hadn't seen children service board since they dropped me off. When I had my baby. Um, August 21st, her birthday is coming up. Oh, happy birthday um, if she's listening to this. <laughs> yes. Um, and I asked him if I could see her. Because, again, I'm, I'm 15. I don't know nothing about nothing. I was a child doing grown-up things. Right. You know, that landed me in the, the, this predicament that I was in. <clears throat> and so they they took the baby out really quickly. And it was getting night at this point. And I asked one of the nurses, I said, can I see my baby? And she said, well, you can't see her because we were under the impression that you were putting her up for adoption. Wow. Well, I didn't tell y'all that because I don't know nothing about adoption. Right. So who you know told what I'm saying? That? Children's Service Board, they had already, you know, signed, sealed and delivered, um, my fate and my daughter's fate. Wow. And so um, they did get to let me see, they did let me see her the next day when the social worker came in. Mm -hmm. And she also said, well, you know, I can let you see her for, for a few minutes, but we were under the impression that she was giving her for adoption. I never said that. And that thing just, it, 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 oh my God, it, it did something to me. Um, once I got back to, um, Youngstown and in another group home, mm -hmm. which is where I ended up staying till I graduated and things like that from high school, the Rand school, mm -hmm. um, they asked me what was my plan. So I said, well, I'm going to ask my sister if she can get us till I'm 18 or get the baby. I asked the boy's mother. She was like, no. You know, my son said he never touched you. So it's a no, right. <laughs> you know. Um, 
But they told me, well, being that you're 15, we think it's best that we put the baby up for adoption. So why take me through asking me what are my plans? Right. You know, because you already made the decision for me. You already made this decision for me. And so that was such a hard thing. I, I don't know how long I cried. I cried for 40 years, I'll tell you that. Um, but I told him I want to call, I want to call, I wanted to name her Breon. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling him all, you know, and can you do something oh about my that? God. Can you do a legal or something? You know what? Um, I had a to deal with children's service board with something that happened with one of my daughters with her children, not me. Right. And I'm telling you, everybody was at fault. I carried that thing for 40 years the way they did me. And when I had to meet with them, I said, y'all took my daughter. Y'all took my daughter. And they didn't know I was talking about because it was 40 years ago. Right, right, right. (laughs) You know, but. But you finally found your voice. Yes. And so, but last, like I said, last year I've done, I've done two conferences titled, This Is My Exodus. Mm-hmm. And it was um, last year was the very first one that I did. And that was the um, time that the day after the conference and it's it's tailor made for those that have been abused because abuse is abuse. Right. So it was for everyone that have been abused, but it was tailor made for those that have been abused and sexually violated within the walls of the church. Right. And so um, I have sessions and um, just powerful. And the day, um, the last day of the conference, I I didn't know if I could make it. I was so full because everybody had got free. You know, everybody praising the Lord. And it's like, God, but what about me? You know, I haven't met my daughter. Right. I don't know where she is. I don't know her name. And so I just poured out. I emptied out. I cried so much, so long. I didn't even know if I could make it to the service because that's how bad off I was. Right. And, um, I had a counselor that was present and I called her and I said, you know, they took my daughter, they took her. They, I mean, it was just like a floodgate, but I had been holding that for For 40 40 years. years. All those emotions is finally starting to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I know that had to be a very overwhelming, like. It was so overwhelming. Yeah. It was so overwhelming, Ebony. And finally I got to the point where I said, I forgive children's service board because I held on, I held on to the hate and the anger with them for two reasons. I felt like because the way y'all did me. Right. And then secondly, if I had if I had let it go, I would have been letting my daughter go. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but I got to the point where I said, I forgive them. I forgive them. And that very next day, which was May 23rd, someone called me and said, I found your daughter. Oh, wow. After 40 years you know i always tell people um when you surrender to surrender. god i'm telling you yes. god would make things move so fast <laughs> oh my god it, and you know what happened is my nephew richard had taken a 23andme dna test mm, cuz he was looking that. for he was looking for his father's 
side of the family. Right. And so my granddaughter, my daughter's daughter had taken the same test and it came back that they were first cousins. Mm. And so when she, she emailed him on the site, um, April 9th, I think Mm -hmm. he didn't, he didn't go back and check out the site till May 23rd. That was the day after the conference. Right. And so when he did that, he saw her email from April 9th. Isn't that something? Yeah. He didn't, he didn't open it until May 23rd. Like what's the odds? Site. Right. Oh my God. And so when I was talking to, um, hers, her son, my grandson, I have two granddaughters and one grandson. Mm-hmm. My first set. He told me, he says, well, her middle name is um, Breon. Mm. And I was like, because this is when we're still trying to find out, is this really her? Right, right, right. And I don't know if that caseworker had a, a sense of um, decency but she, I don't know, she told the, the lady that adopted her that I wanted to name her Breon. Right. Um, but I couldn't believe it. I knew yeah. then. That's my daughter. And when I talked to my daughter, she was like, I just love my middle name so much. She didn't even know I named, I, right. I gave her that name, but she said she just loved it so much. So I'm telling you, God was just all in the workings of it. It came, nobody get the glory. But God. For what happened, but God. Yeah. Powerful. Now, how did you reconnect with the boy? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, if I'm not mistaken, you wanted to like speak to him, like you want to reach out and have a conversation with him about something? Yes, yes. Um, so I was now 16, because I had my daughter at 15. Um, so I'm 16. I'm at the um the back at the group home right. where I was uh graduated. And you know. Again, it was like he saved me, you know, and I just dusted off my loyalty hat mm-hmm. and I put it right back on. So when I went back this time, um, we, we had a talk and, and, and again, I started giving myself away to him, um, protected this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still loved him after all of that. Right. I still loved this boy. And so one night. Also, he was your first, so. And he was my first. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was just, it, but it was still the, the, the light skinned girls was around. I couldn't, you know, it was the same, same cycle. I couldn't say anything to him and I was okay with that. Well, you know, he'll call or he'll come over. I just, I just was in that space. Like, this is even in my 20s, okay? Because I was with them up until like 30-something, actually. Oh, wow. But there was there was one night we were at church because now he's a van driver. Mm-hmm. He's 18 now. And so all the girls would pile in to see who's going to take home last, you know, who, whatever happened. So even me, like, I wanted to be with this guy. Like, I just loved him. Right. So there was one night he and one of his friends was on the van and me. So I'm thinking, okay, they're going to drop me off and, you know, go do whatever they're going to do. But when I was looking down, I found, looked up, we're on this dark road. Right. And so. You, him and his friend. Me, him and his friend. 
So at first glance, fear hit me. And I talked myself through, okay, you know, no, he's not going to let anything happen to me. Um, th that's how much confidence I had in him. Right. Um, but so he wanted to have sex. We on the, we on the church band sexing. Right. Um, and of course, whatever he wanted to, wanted me to do, I would do it. And so I said, well, what about him? He's, he's out there. Cause he got out. The friend got out. Right. He said, oh no, it's cool. So after he have sex with me, I'm trying to get up to put my clothes on to get home to get the shower and things like that. He told me to, to stay right there. And I'm like, for what? Right. And he had my arm. And so as I'm trying to get up, cause now this fear is overwhelming. Now, like this is not right. Something's not right. He tapped on the window, told his friend to come in. They started fighting with me and I'm kicking, I'm screaming like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But he let the guy get between my legs and penetrate me. Mm -hmm. And he had sex with me and he walked out. He got off the van. Wow. Is it hard yeah. for you to like tell to share your story? Because you have a lot of trauma um, in your story. You know what? Because I am healed and right. I am made whole now. Um, I can I can talk about it. Right. Um I I, I hid it, I buried it for 40 years until the Lord started dealing with me and telling me what I need to do to um, be made whole because yeah. I was healed. I walked around healed, but I was still bleeding on the inside, yeah, you yeah. know, spiritually. And, um, you know, when we, when he got done, they high-fived each other and I was crying and I was used to just inverting my tears and, you know, things like that because I just buried everything. But when yeah. I got back to the house, he just told me, get out. Mm. I, I just got out and walked. They just drove off mm -hmm. um, and left me to get up to the house by myself. Now, how did you and him get married? And I felt like one of the main reasons why he got y'all got married because he was in trouble. Yes. And was he yes. in trouble for messing with underage girls? Oh, no, 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 not, not my ex-husband. No. Okay. Um, what happened is he, um, had gotten in some trouble. Okay. And because I already had the four children by him. Okay. Hopefully five with my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the four children. So he called me one day and said, guess what me and my mother, and my sister's doing. I said, what? I was pregnant with my, my, um, Youngest daughter at that time. And how old were I you? Said, what? How old was he? Oh my goodness! I was probably like thirty something. Wow! So this, you've been knowing this man since you was fourteen. Twelve. Yeah. Twelve. After my mom died, um, they took me to the foster home. I was twelve, turning thirteen. And he, yes. If you was thirty, that means he was what 35, 34? somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I yeah, I I have. Five kids by the 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 five kids by
Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. A podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Hopefully five. But he called me one day and said, guess what me and my um, mother and my sisters are doing? I said, what? He says, we're planning our wedding. And I said, and I'm not there. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was just bad, but my, he saved me. And that's, that's where my mind was. I was right. still that 13, 14 year old girl. When I was 30, 35, I was still that 13, 14 year old girl mm -hmm. that he saved. So my loyalty was still there. And he says, well, yeah. So, I mean, they made, I said, well, you know, well, how's this going to work? I mean, what if I don't want to marry you? Right. He, and he, but I married him, you know? And so everyone knew what was going on except me. But one of um, the our mutual friends, she said, Reed, that's my, my nickname. Reed, mm -hmm. I don't want you to look stupid no more. I have to tell you something. I'm so glad she I looked said, out. Okay. Yeah. And she says, um, she told me that he had gotten in some trouble and... Um, their attorney, his attorney, suggested that he marry me because I have the children. It will look good in front of the judge. Mm -hmm. Did he have any it, other children? No. Oh, wow. Nope. Not at that time. And so um, he said he would, it would look good if he married me. So that's the only reason he married me. So he can get less time in prison. Mm. And when I found that out, I was just, you know how you cry and you don't have no more tears to cry, but you're still crying. Mm -hmm. That that's, that's how I was. I, cause I cried so many years, you know? And after that, it was like, wow. Um, I don't know if you remember the, um, the original Carrie when her mother was dancing around saying, they're going to laugh at you. Yes, they're going to laugh at yes. you. You know, it was like they had already been laughing at me because I was the only one that didn't know what was actually going on. I mean, the family knew. Obviously, she knew. Um, I just didn't know. Right. And it was like, wow. I mean, that did something to me. So I pretty much saved him, too. You know, I mm -hmm. saved him some prison time um, when you look at it. But how long he was in I'm jail for? You, I, I'm not sure. It wasn't that long, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it worked that, you know, he was a family man. You know, lo- lawyers be lying. Yeah, the optics know. was looking good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, he said whatever he said, and he did not spend a lot of time um, in there. But I got to a place where, and then I had my son. Right. Okay. And so, but I got to a place that I'm better than this. I have these children. Right. I can't let them see that what I'm going through is okay because I don't want them to experience that's how the, cycle the keeps same going thing. On and on. That right. That's how. It's, so I got to the place where I was. I was done. I mean the 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 marriage um, lasted. It, it, you know, honestly, Ebony, I, I don't even know when I got married mm. because I, it was so bad that I suppressed the memories, but I remember when I, I remember I did get divorced. <laughs> I remember that. Did you get a ring? <clears throat> well, the ring had like tape on it and it wasn't like a diamond in there. It was just. It looked like it was something about to crack a jackbox, you nah. know. Um, it, Him, it's his true. mama, his sisters, <laughs> they need brothers, fathers, whoop. <laughs> they need yes. ass beat. I, you know, I was so taken advantage of. I'm telling you, they like, took I was, advantage of you to the max. Like my god, yeah, it was bad. Wow. It was bad. And, and, you know, people say, well, why did you keep going back? I, it was a trauma bomb. That's all you knew. I, that's, that's all I knew. And um, that, that it was trauma. That's all I can think of. That's when I, because I was like, why, why did I keep going back? Right. And, um, yeah. And I was just connected to him. He told me, would nobody want me and things like that. So I believed it. When you, when you hear stuff constantly every day, yeah. day in, day out. You just, you just believe it. So what is your you know relationship like now? Since you're, since he is the father of your children and, you know, with everything well, that's taking place between y'all, like, do y'all speak no, about anything no, or? No contact, no contact. He um, has, he's married and have other children now. And I pray um, that he, well, he's taking care of those children because he didn't take care of mine. Mm. They, my children don't have any contact with them so when at you, all. So when you told your children everything about your story, and especially him being involved in it, what was their response? Oh, the, the emotions flew. It was I just, that's why I knew, that's why I told God, I can't tell them. It's, yeah, it's, too, it's too much. It's too much. It's too painful. Yeah. I have to tell them that I was raped. I, you know, I can't. Right. But when I got to that place, that love, that, that it, it be, cause it became a part of me. Right. That, that, uh, that story, my abuse, all of that, it was a part of my skin. Mm-hmm. So that's just like pull, peeling your skin back. It was, it was, it was horrifying. Yeah. It was painful. It was so painful. But I got to that place. I did it. Um, you know, tears the, the the crying you know i got my son he was it was just a 
horrible scene, but I got through it. Yeah. So have you have you encountered any challenges in rebuilding a sense of safety and security within the church? Um. See the, the the church and 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 my relationship with God is just two different things. Right. Um you know what I'm saying we are the church. Mm. And so I don't really I mean I just started going to a church I I love the the pastor and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um and we're friends so um uh, before a long time it was like eh, you know I'm really over the church thing. Right. Um, because my relationship is, is with God. So, um, I buried it. You know what? But I always tell people, I said, people that have been abused, we're pretenders. Mm. We are great pretenders because on the outside, we paint this picture to you so you can see us smiling. Right. So you right. can see us. But on the inside, we toe up from the flow up. Right. Right. You know, we're great pretenders. So, um, I don't have to pretend anymore because I'm free now. Right. You know, and so that's that's the place that I want to get the people that I talk to. I want them to get to a place of, of freedom and to a place of victory. Um, and when you say this, is when I say this is my exodus, um, when you think about Moses and how he was um, delivering the people out of um, Egypt, mm-hmm. um, it was a place of bondage. It was a place of um dread and that's how I liken it to my book and my conferences right like we're in Egypt we're still stuck in our minds in our emotions and our our mental states um and we don't have to be there we don't have to be there we can be free yeah. we can make our exodus so so what what happened to the pastor and the elder like did they ever like did like are they in jail or like are they still like what's going on with them so I don't actually know. I don't see um, or hear about any of them mm. at this point. Uh, um, I know the pastor, he's he's probably really old now. But um, the elder, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where they at. Right. But um, it was, um, and, and I probably, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one. I'm I sure I wasn't that. the only one. And I'm yeah. pretty sure you wasn't the last one. And I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't the last one. But God has to deal with them on that. Um, and I told people, I said, look, if that was my assignment to 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 throw off names, I would have been shooting from both hips. You know, <laughs> right. t- you know, but that's not my assignment. My assignment is truly to the people that have been hurt and wounded, um, um, struggling with their identity, their sexual identity because of what they've gone through in these churches. And 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 a period, because yeah. again, abuse is abuse, abuse is abuse. Right. But um, because I've actually went through pretty much all of the abuses, you know, I can, uh, I want to be there and help those to to get to come across to their promised land. Yeah. You know what just came to mind? I was thinking about your self-love and your self-worth. Like how did you rebuild that? Or did you have to like discover it all over again? Oh, so I it took me longer to to love myself because I was told that I was ugly. Yeah. And I wasn't loved and 
um, I'm only worth a good screw. You know, those were the things that he would um, pound in me. Mm-hmm. And because I believed it, I I started being um, promiscuous and trying to make him, my ex-husband, out of a liar. Like, no, somebody else is going to want me. I know, but, and it was crazy because even though he said those things to me and I knew that they were a lie, I started living that lie. Yeah. I started um, looking for love in all the wrong wrong places, if you will. And it was like every guy that um, I laid with, yeah, it was, it was just a good, it was just a screw. Yeah. Um, No. And so I believed the lie and I started living the lie, but I got to a place probably like 14 years ago Mm -hmm. where I was with this guy and I wanted, and he was like one of the, the, the best guys that I had ever um, been with. And it wasn't a lot of guys that I dealt with, but I had my share, you know what I'm saying? So, but he was cool. Um, but it didn't look like he wanted to marry. And I wanted to get married only because, but I was using marriage for a crutch. Mm. I was using, I was using my desire to be married to fill a hole right. that I had in my, in my heart and in you myself. Felt like that's what you needed. Because I felt like that's what I needed. Especially being but when in, I got raised in the, the church. Yeah. But when I got to the point where um, I didn't want it, as a crutch anymore. I don't need to be married. If I don't get married, I'm cool. If I do, I'm cool. But it was like, I was running after this thing. Like I need to get married. I need to get married because again, I was still trying to prove my ex-husband wrong that somebody would want me on their arm. You know, somebody would want me, um, not just to lay with me, but otherwise, you know, so I was trying to prove that point, but I gave that up. And so I was with this, this guy, like four, 14 years ago, um, and listen, I told him, I said, I'm done with this. I said, yeah, this is the last time you get my pussy. You right. know, I told I'm like, that's it. I'm better than this. And yeah. listen, I, I walked away, and I've been celibate for 14 years. Wow. So by the grace of God. Because I told God, I I made a vow. I said, the next man I sleep with, he's going to be my husband. Because I I got tired of giving myself away, just giving myself away. You know, giving myself away, giving myself away just for the sake of feeling love, just for the sake of, you know, even though it wasn't love, but it felt like love to me for even for a night, even for a night, you know. And so... Um, I did that and I just walked away. I said, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. And so saying law has been 14 years now. You I know. know <laughs> help us out, you know. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm married to ministry. Yes. You know, I'm married to ministry and yeah, sometimes, when I have those lonely moments, I think about what he said about nobody's going to want you. Yeah. You know, those thoughts try to come back and haunt me. Um, but that's why I, I, I have a session during my conferences that 
It's called put something in a house mm. here. House is you. So, yes. So if I put, I have self-worth in my house, it doesn't matter if you tell me I'm ugly. Right. right. I have something in my house. So um, those thoughts, I, I still fight with those thoughts mm-hmm. because they come back. After they leave, they come back. Yeah. So you have to know how to not entertain them. You have to know how to cut them off at the gate. Don't even listen to the thoughts. When the, those negative thoughts come to you, you can't even entertain them because once you entertain them, you're going to find yourself looking back in Egypt. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's what my book and my conferences all surround because Egypt was a place of bondage. Mm-hmm. Egypt was a place of, of captivity. And so you don't want your thoughts to be in captivity right. of, of anything negative. So, yeah, it's still a fight, but I'm I'm there. I'm here for it because you have to be able to do maintenance for your soul. Yeah. Now, what's some steps or actions that you think that the religious communities can take to become more responsive and supportive to survivors of church abuse? First of all, admit that it happened. That part. You know what I'm saying? Because right. They they sweep it under the rug. They don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I told I told somebody sometimes if you could just say we know that it wasn't our fault, but we know that you went through it. We're just sorry. acknowledge it, right? Just acknowledge it. Um, and I say that about um, um, Bishop Sheard and um, Evangelist Karen Clark Sheard. They they are now at the helm of this Church of God in Christ uh, organization. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it. It's not their fault. But if they can get to a place where they come and, and say, acknowledge it, we're sorry this happened to you, that alone will bring healing. Yeah. Just acknowledge it because when we do acknowledge it, when we do talk about it, we're the villain. You know, they mm-hmm. sweep it under the rug as if we did something wrong. Right. The the um those that have been abused that did something wrong. But I hope I hope I get a chance to talk to them, Bishop Sheard and um um evangelist Karen Clark Sheard. Mm-hmm. I would love to sit down and talk with them uh to to do a conference there. This yeah. is my exodus. I'm just acknowledging the fact that this happened and it has happened. Over and over and over again. Yeah. And they're still shouting, still raising money, still having the convocation. And you have all these people that um, are misguided. They're hurt. They're wounded. What about them? Yeah. And imagine how many people would feel comfortable with just finally, like, just wanting to come back to church and wanting to be more involved just because they finally feel seen. Exactly. Just because they acknowledged it. Right. So I'm I'm definitely praying for them. And it's like I was um doing a radio um interview one time and I was talking to the um interviewer and she said, Well, tell me your story, kinda like you did, Ebony. And I began to tell them how, you know, this pastor and this elder and you know, things like that. And she she stopped the interview and she said, Well, we don't want you to talk about what the pastor and the elder did because that'll stop people from wanting to come to church. Wow. And I said, 
But what about the people that have already stopped coming to church? Yeah, because, because of what the of pastor what, and the elder because, did. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What about them? Like, we got to ask the right questions. Why are people not coming to church? Because <laughs> right. it ain't the word. Because of what the pastor and the elder did. Right, because the you word know? has always been the same. <laughs> exactly. And so I was just like, I started to just get up and just walk away, but... The Lord said, no, you go through that interview because these are the things that you're going to encounter yeah. as you move forward and possess your land. Yeah. As you move forward and and um, make get the people out of Egypt, as you make your exodus out of Egypt with the people, these are the, the type of things that you're going to um, go through. So, no, go ahead and, 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 and tell your story. Yeah. You know, and so... I went on and told her, I was like, you know, what about them? What about, what about the people that are struggling now with their sexualities? Because yeah. they've been, a you lot know, of men. what about and them? Women. Yeah. What about them? Facts. So, you know, I, but I'm encouraged. I, you know, I don't have, I don't have no bitterness mm -hmm. in me about anything. I'm not angry. I'm not, you know, but I was. Yeah, and, rightfully you know, so, though. Every, rightfully so. I, I I, have a right. Those that have been abused, they have a right yeah. to be angry. And, and But what is that going to do for you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Some of these people have gone on. You have. I had got to a place where I had to forgive, you know, and, and I didn't want to. I'm saying, God, why do I have to forgive them? They did yeah. this to me. But forgiveness is not for that person. It's that for you. you. It's for you. Right. It's for you. It's like, I'm, I'm going to get this. For, I'm holding a hot coal. Sometimes I'm holding a hot coal in my hand and I'm going to throw it at the person. But you're getting burned. Yeah. Not the person. The coal might mix the person, but you've gotten burned. Right, so right. So we have to get in a place where we can release all of that stuff and we're going to recover from it. I'm in my recovery. Right. That's why I can talk about it how I talk about it because I'm free of it. Right. But that just happened after 40 years Yeah, that I'm even able to sit here and have a full on conversation with you about what I went through. Yeah. Just 40 years. So what is your advice that you would like to give to other survivors who may be struggling to overcome the aftermath of church abuse? I would say, tell somebody, mm -hmm. tell somebody. I would say, you have to get to a place to where you are able to confront it. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't confront it, it's going to keep haunting you. Yeah. It's going to, if you don't confront it, if you don't deal with it. That is so true. If you don't release it, mm -hmm. if you don't repent, if you don't, you you don't you won't be at it. You gotta stop you know giving it power. And when, and when that's right, you take your power back. And when I say repent, we we're not repenting because of what we're repenting because we thought it was our fault. Right. We're repenting because we felt guilty. Mm -hmm. You know, and it wasn't our fault. Mm -hmm. And I would tell them it's not your fault. What you went through, it's not your fault. So you have to get to a place where you have to you have to deal with that stuff yeah you have to deal with it and you have to feel every ounce of emotion that you felt and once you do all of that you release it yeah you have to get to a place to release it 
Yeah. You know, you have, you know that that movie says waiting to exhale. You have you have to exhale at some point and release it. Yeah. And then your recovery comes. My favorite Jay Z lyrics is you can't heal what you don't reveal. That's it. Yeah. You can't heal. I mean, and I'm telling you, I had high moments where I would, you know, go to church, I would sing, I would preach, I would prophesy, you know, and do all these things. And when I, I go home, here come those thoughts. You're a whore. You're mm -hmm. no good. You don't have no self-worth. And it would, it would beat me down. And I would say these thoughts, they came like, they became a God mm -hmm. to me. Because when you talk about God or, or, or whoever God or whatever God they serve, it's like you reverence that God. Yeah. And when these thoughts would come, I, I didn't have nothing to fight with. So I had to reverence them. Yeah. I stopped and, and, and listened to the lies that the devil was telling me. I had to reverence them. But now I can say, oh, yes, I am working. I have self-worth. I love myself. It's right. not my fault. You know what I'm saying? But it took me some time to get there. So I'm excited. I'm so excited that you um, allowed me to come on your platform and just share. I so enjoyed this. Yeah, um, this was this a really time. great conversation. I feel like a lot of women, especially women in our communities, is going to definitely feel seen once they hear this um, conversation. Because I feel like this is a topic that nobody talks about. Yes, yes. Yeah. And men, too. When yeah. I started telling my story, it was like I was getting inboxes from men saying, I went through this, you know, uh, this one young man, he was 15 and was um, sexually violated by evangelists mm. in the church of God in Christ. And um, and she took advantage of him. And then there was another guy telling me about uh, one of the deacons took advantage of him. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. And, mm. and, and it needs to be talked about. It needs to be discussed. And, and again, I don't have any anger. Right. You know, you and a lot of people light. do. Yeah, I just want to share. I just want to help. Um, and and there were those that were trying to make me feel like I had a problem with the Church of God in Christ. But nope. Yeah. I'm telling my story. I'm free. I'm healed. I want others to be free and healed. That's yeah. my position. And that's my assignment. You know, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think by shining a light on this, it's definitely going to help to create a more inclusive conversation that recognizes the unique struggles that survivors survivors in this community endure. So I really appreciate you coming on the show to share your story. Thank you. And for the listeners, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please make sure to reach out to me at hello at the phgpodcast.com. And until next time, everyone, later. Bye. Peace. Yes, peace and light. Okay, blessed be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The Professional Home Girl Podcast is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. And you can connect with me on social media at the PHG Podcast. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 